This is the Big Brand Theory Podcast by Blackwood Creative with your host, Ryan Zerfus. And now, here's Ryan. Hey, hey, guys, and welcome back to the Big Brand Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Zerfus, VP of Customer Success at Blackwood Creative, a digital marketing agency right here in Mishawaka, Indiana. It really is pretty beautiful today. So it is a beautiful place. And uh, I'm so glad that you're joining us today for this episode as we get to have a conversation with Matt Esau from Notre Dame. What up? Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, obviously, Notre Dame is a pretty big deal here locally. I mean, eh. yeah, yeah, it, you know, I, I'd say most people know what it is in the area. Um, but uh, Matt is a marketing strategist in the Notre Dame International Department. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long have you been at Notre Dame? Uh, that's a funny little uh, aside there. So I started, <laughs> I started just in March uh, okay. here of 2020. Um, and that was very much around the time where we're, uh, many people from Notre Dame were going to work from home. And so, right. uh, I've actually started my time at Notre Dame, um, in my office at my house <laughs> and I've had, uh, one meeting once at Notre Dame. Other than that, my ho- entire experience so far has been standing in my office at, yeah. at home. So that is, been interesting. that is very <laughs> strange. I mean, it sounds like so far, you know, you love it, but what a yeah. strange start to a job where you don't actually ever really go to your job and see yeah. the people. <laughs> yeah. And especially, you know, with the, you know, the campus being, you know, kind of an iconic place and it's very, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's, uh, uh people ask me how I'm adjusting and I say, well, I think fine, but I, I don't really know. Like I wasn't there. Yeah, and then now the experience is different. My only experience has been Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting oh, yeah. at at home. So in that Zoom life, yeah, Zoom life, baby, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, great. <laughs> well, um, so Matt, I I have an inkling that you're a big music guy from True. from the little conversations we've had before this. You've yes. you've mentioned multiple times your passion for music. So I'm curious. Tell me tell me a little bit about, more about this love for music that you have where'd it come from how do you what are you doing right now with with your passion for music yeah i think so i don't come from a really super musical family or anything like that um but i had some friends you know coming coming towards the end of middle school into high school who got guitars and were playing in bands um and that seemed super awesome to me and i had a friend that uh his older brother had a bass and uh I, i distinctly remember picking it up it was a it was a blue sparkle Japanese precision <laughs> bass. And I remember picking it up and hitting the low E string and just like having it like reverberate through my mm-hmm. body. And I knew then that it that just, was, that was important. It was, it was, <laughs> it was love at first pl- pluck. First pluck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First, first thundering low E. But anyways, yeah, I've, I've played, uh, music for a long time. Uh, it's a big part of my life, hmm. big part of kind of our, uh, our family just kind of in general, my wife and I both love music, listen to a lot of music. Yeah go to concerts together. Um, but yeah, so I've played a lot of music, played in bands, yeah. uh, played I, live, not toured a lot, but played just kind of regionally some shows, yeah. those kind of things. Um, Are you yeah. still actively playing? Not a lot right now, no. I kind of had some some more playing than I did several years ago, like working with some solo artists here, mm-hmm. you know, I'm playing playing some shows with them. Uh, and I have have a little home studio. I help kind of local artists, you know. That's awesome produce their music and I really that's a, that's a lot of fun for me just because there's a real interesting parallel between doing design and d- producing music yeah because you kind of say you know 
at least I think of it as who's the audience, um, what kind of, what do we want them to experience when we, they listen to the music? And then you kind of start to build in like, okay, if we want it to feel this way, we probably need the drums to sound like this. Mm. Well, let's bring in this sample or let's add a little more Mellotron here. Let's <laughs> do this. You know, so it's kind of a, some fun parallels there. But that's, yeah. that's really fun because I don't really charge people much or a lot. And it's a way to like kind of help people who are getting going sort of like give them a push and give them sure. some, some good kind of first EP yeah. or whatever. So that's um, great. But yeah. I've just, yeah. The, the creative world is kind of my, my right. Yeah. Playground, I was going to mention, general. like ask about like, I'm sure there's a, a big connection and correlation between your creative self and your musical self. You know, like those yeah. two probably bleed <clears throat> into each other. Yeah. And I think being somebody who just finds weird fun in like seeing how things connect and uh and looking at just kind of big picture things yeah I've, I've just noticed as i help people make music uh and you know in parallel as i help people like maybe build strategy there's there's so many parallels between all those things and there's so many kind of like shared skills in all of that mm-hmm. um and so i think uh i'm a big advocate for uh kind of the idea of like you, you know if you if you're a graphic designer or you're like a videographer just some kind of creative thing the the, the way you look at your work and the way you approach your work, um, it's not just useful in one little spot. Like I think people who know how to think creatively and have creative output mm-hmm. are really great. I don't know if I'd say workers, but it's, it, they're really powerful people to have on a team because they can say, what's the idea? How do we imagine mm-hmm. it and bring it to life and, kind right. of, and then put, and then bring it to life and put it out. Like that's, that's not something everybody can do. And I think if you're like kind of in the agency world or kind of the creative world, um, that's like what you do, mm-hmm. and, but it's, it's kind of hard to maybe acknowledge sometimes that like not everybody, not everybody thinks that way or, or kind of has that yeah. innate yeah. sense. It's definitely a huge asset. So, yeah. So I just feel fortunate that like I've been able to find jobs doing creative work. <laughs> like that's, that's pretty cool. I really appreciate that and like that. So yeah, it all, all that stuff kind of interweaves mm-hmm. together and kind of overlaps. Um, yeah. And I would say, and I have to just say this because we're talking about music. Um, my favorite band is Radiohead. Oh, oh, love it! And I don't necessarily like their newer stuff, mm-hmm. um, but regardless of what they do, if they stop or they put out garbage from here on out, mm-hmm. they're still my favorite band. Just because Kid A, OK yeah. Computer, Preach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. right. <laughs> beautiful stuff. I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Uh, so, well. Uh, Matt, it's great to have you. And um, aside from music, we're we're gonna get into this yeah. whole branding thing, yeah. um, which you've had a lot of experience in over the years, and now even at at Notre Dame, it's a big part of your role to mm-hmm. be considering um, branding, but then brand strategy. Um, so we're gonna jump into that. So, from your perspective and mm-hmm. and your history, what would you say is a brand? How do you define a brand or yeah. branding at this point in your career? Yeah, that's that is an excellent question. <laughs> it's sort of a big one. <laughs> one that I I don't I never find the end of or the answer. For right. Answer yeah. To, I don't know yeah. if there's like one set thing, but I, I yeah. think you know yeah. it, it's a lifelong process. Um. So I for me and in the experiences and opportunities that I've had, um, working with different brands or kind of facilitating or helping build or develop or influence different brands. I think the main thing that's most important for me, uh, to, for myself first to, to remember and understand, but also what, what maybe is helpful for other people to kind of how to position in your brain is that, um, a brand as I see it is 
um, a perception that someone holds about you or holds about your business or mm-hmm. your organization or whatever entity it is you're a part of, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what's important, I think, to note there is your brand lives in kind of the hearts and minds of the people that you want to influence or the hearts and minds of the people that your audience that you want to engage with, mm-hmm. that you're maybe your their potential customers or their people who you want to be a part of your organization or, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's important to know and to sort of acknowledge that you don't own your brand. Hmm. You can't hold it in your hands and control it per se. Um, it is, it is percep- it, a brand is a perception that other people hold about you and it's a way that they see you and think about you and feel about you as a business or an organization or a hmm. individual brand or something like that. And so I think kind of starting from that point and mm. kind of acknowledging and saying, okay, my brand is what people think of me. It's yeah. how I'm perceived. It lives in their hearts and minds. It's not something I own or something I manufacture and then give to them. Mm. Um, it's a perception. And so when you kind of start from that premise and you start from that place, I think then it really sort of reorders and reorients um, what you then do going forward to have impact on that perception that those people have. Right. And so the brand is the perception. Yeah. You don't own it. You can't hold it. You can't really force it. You can't make it be specifically what you want. You don't make it. Yeah. So then with that in mind, then, then you, then you take a step and look at then the companion part to that with that, which is then the brand strategy. And so a brand strategy, that is the stuff. That's the tactical stuff. That's mm-hmm. the things you do. A brand strategy, a logo fits in that. Um, a uh, content calendar fits into that. Um, a website fits into that. So the brand strategy is is the stuff you can influence. Mm. It is the things you do make. It is the stuff that you can impact that then directly, you hope at least, right? Yeah. You hope uh, then influences in a way that you want um, people's perceptions of you. And yeah. so that's kind of like the beginning point uh, for Sh- me at least when I think about brand is let's make sure we all acknowledge that we can't, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we grasp at it, yeah. we, can't, we can't truly control the brand itself because it's not ours to control. Yeah. We don't own it. We, it's not ours. Ugh, that's, and that's a tough truth, you know, yeah. right? Because, uh, you know, as humans, <laughs> as, as people, how, it's our natural tendency to want to try to control as much as we can, especially True. something as important as a brand, you know, yeah. thinking about mm-hmm. your company and, mm-hmm. and the, the impression the, and that it has in the public, the mm-hmm. um, persona it has. I'm sure we want to have as much control over that. So just even that reality of like, we probably have less control over Mm -hmm. what is actually happening in the public's mind Mm -hmm. and an individual's brain is when they think about your company, than than what we would like to have. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's tough. Yeah. And if I, and you're totally right that it's, it would be a shift for a lot of people, not only to just kind of define it in a new way, but then to truly like acknowledge that and say, okay, I acknowledge this is a perception, but then to make that leap of, and I can't necessarily control it all mm-hmm. that much um, is hard for a lot of people, especially if you kind of think, well, I got this on lockdown. I'm good. I'm solid. Mm. Like I, I've like, I've got this great logo and I'm doing these things and I've got this slick website. Um, I think that's, that's just, I mean, that's not abnormal for people to kind of be like, well, brand is a logo or something like that. But I think the people who really um, build de- the deepest, most meaningful, long lasting kind of loyalty and connection with their audience are the people who can say, um, I need to serve like Seth Godin has all these great quotes about marketing being it. 
if you look at it through kind of the, the lens or sort of the idea of serving people mm-hmm. and when you serve people well, um, and it's a really simple way of putting it, but th- then they'll engage with you, you know, and when you do things that bring value, you know, mm-hmm. like you have the people who talk about, you need to add value and bring value before <laughs> yeah. you ever make an ask, you know, right. that's kind of the sales idea or some of those things. Yeah. Um, but I think getting that mindset right of, um, we can't own it, we can't control it and we need to accept that and acknowledge that. And then, so again, I think when you can do that and you can say, okay, based on the fact that we need to influence perception, we need to build trans, you know, transparency and loyalty and all these things. Um, how is it then that we begin to move forward? Mm-hmm. What are the things that we need to start doing or, or stop doing or do differently? <laughs> right. Yeah. So that the work we do is organized in a way that it impacts perceptions hopefully again hopefully again you can't just grab it and say nope you got to go this way right that will hopefully then move people towards a better understanding like that's where you kind of get into like positioning and we'll talk about that later where like if you want to be um seen as a thought leader in a particular space or around a particular product well what are you doing to do that what are you doing to have people to help people see and feel and think that way about you you know and if if you're not doing that there's a problem there, and there's a big disconnect between your you aspire to be this, but then what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So you can't. That's that's where you know another leap kind of comes. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. We know that we can't control it, and then the next leap is how do we then kind of orient our act, business activities and our marketing, our communication, um, in a way that helps bring that to life. And so right. that's like that's the strategy. And so, <clears throat> yeah. Again, that that's a huge corral, and there's a lot of different things <laughs> running around in there. From you know, logo, uh, and and th- this is a really a really key thing too, um, to cast a holistic and very wide net around what you think brand strategy is. Yeah. So, um, this is this is a great example that I, I use a lot, or I, I I think about a lot. The way people answer your phone at your organization is one of the most important parts of your brand strategy that you can ever pay attention to. Mm for sure 100% mm-hmm. because if if I want to like if I want to work with with Blackwood and I want and I I know that I need to I need to re- redesign my website you know and some some of these tactical things um, and I call up Ryan and he's a total jerk to me on the phone <laughs> you may have the best web developer in the entire world mm-hmm. and create the most magnificent beautiful websites that are effective and they deliver ROI all these fun things we check off yeah but if Ryan's a jerk to me I may never get past that first phone call and it may have been a great value to my business and the interaction would be great and all, all that stuff you want. Right. Um, but so I think it's just really important to, again, acknowledge that um, everything that influences people's perceptions of your organization is part of your brand strategy. Yeah. And if you don't acknowledge it, too bad. The way, pe- the way you answer the phone is still part of your brand strategy. Mm. And so when you think about brand strategy, there's the obvious stuff. Again, we say website, we say logo, we say yeah. content marketing, we say these kind of like very obvious things. Um, but the way you talk on social media, just as an example, like the tone you use, the language you use, is it informal or is it not? Is mm-hmm. it fun or is it academic or, or what, you know, what is it? Yeah. And to be consistent in that, uh, impacts people's perceptions. And so that's a big part of brand strategy. Or yeah. if you're inconsistent, that also impacts people. Like if you're super like legalistic over here and you're like real informal over here, uh, 
it's hard to know, well, who, who really are you, you know? So that, that's just another point that when you talk about brand strategy, everything is brand strategy. Hmm. Anything that influences the perception of you, any, any you touch, need to consider it. Yeah. yeah any, any touch, touch point, point between your company and, and the general public or a potential customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me in that, um, it's pretty common to interact with, you know, on our level to mm-hmm. interact with a, a small business in the area, mm-hmm. love small businesses, mm-hmm. but you sit down with them and sort of like you were saying, their idea of what branding or, or a brand strategy is, is going to, it's going to be really narrow and short. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, well, here's what we need. We need a logo. We've yeah. got some colors picked. Um, and we need you to make some envelopes and business cards. Great. Those are all great things, mm-hmm. but then it stops and they're <laughs> like, that's, that's all we think we need. That's where the conversation ends. And then, because a lot of small businesses, you know, they think we just need the, we just need the initial concept and assets. And then what we really need is to start doing mm-hmm. right. We're, we're all so eager to, to get moving, to get going. Mm-hmm. And so we sort mm-hmm. of leave those things in, in the dust behind. Okay. Well, we think we got what we need. Now we're going to move. Mm-hmm. How, and, and so, the reality in that situation is probably you're, you're selling yourself way short mm-hmm. yeah. and you're probably missing a lot of things that could really benefit your business and improve what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just took the time to really think about, like you said, phone calls, emails, mm-hmm. social media, you know, when someone walks in the door of your business, it like all those little minute things that mm-hmm. is really what you're getting at of, of like those things all fit in your brand strategy. They're equally as important Mm-hmm. I, you could argue as your logo because mm-hmm. you know every touch point with a person is going to build that perception that okay. you're talking about and if it's a negative pers- if, if if it's a negative interaction that perception is going to be negative and that person's mm-hmm. going to be somewhere else totally, they're not going to be with you totally um yeah so I, I, I what you're saying jives really well with what i've experienced in in working with a lot of those small businesses locally great people wonderful intentions right but right. how how often are they stopping short there's two, two things there that, as you were talking, really like ping, pinged for me. Um, let's talk about logos for just a second here. <laughs> yeah, let's, go for let's, it. Let's talk about logos. So um, logo is a, a huge part of your brand strategy. Like you just said, that's, it's a thing everybody thinks about, mm-hmm. and rightly so, because it's sort of it's the thing that represents you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say for people who are thinking about like, well, I need a new logo, or is my logo good? Um <clears throat> I would just drop this one little little bit in there um, to say that a logo is, and and just maybe one or two sentences of of advice too. A logo is a thing that represents you when you're not there, um, and it's it's the logo on the front of your business. When someone drives by, they see it, mm-hmm. and it makes them think and feel. It makes you they perceive you in a certain way mm-hmm. based on how rounded the corners of the type are. Subtle thing what colors you use, what graphic is present with the type, or is there not a graphic present with type? Right. Is it tilted forward and does it look fast? You know, or is it very um, drawn out and spaced and really light and sort of like looks spa-ish or something like that, you know? Um, so I think what, so I, I used to teach at Bethel College, now university, um, yeah. and I got to help a lot of students work on kind of logos and things like that. And how is it that I, how do you make a logo? You know, like what's important? How do you, what's the process of making something that's worthwhile and meaningful? Um, and I think it's so important to remember that like a logo really 
is a delicate thing in the sense of, like I said, it represents you while you're not there. But a lot of times you sort of, you try to inject too much into it, you know? And it's mm -hmm. like, well, if we're a company and we do plumbing, we got to get a wrench in there. We got to get a <laughs> dripping pipe in there. And we've got to get all these sort of like these, these ideas images, and these metaphors yeah. and images in there and like cram a bunch of stuff in there. But I think it's the same sort of thing when you, it's a, it's a, it's a really rudimentary tactical brand strategy and you have to approach it the same way you approach anything else in your brand strategy and say, how does this impact people's perceptions of my business or my organization? Mm -hmm. And so it's less about is the logo slick and awesome and being slick and awesome may help influence perception in the right way, you know, yeah. but uh, you have to kind of frame it in a similar way you frame all your other st brand strategy, tactical stuff. Does this impact people's perceptions the way we hope it does? You know, and so if your logo is 30 years old, but it still does the thing you need it to do, and people say, I really love that logo. It's simple, but it just says the right thing about you. Yeah, keep that another 30 years if it's doing what it needs to do. Again, I, I just bring all that up to say like, your logo is not the be all end all Mm -hmm. do or die of your business it's a key piece but you have to sort of put it in its place and remind yourself that like you don't need a new logo every five years mm -hmm. you just need to think about how it want to be perceived and if it's doing it don't touch that because mm -hmm. every time you redo your logo you lose all of that kind of equity the, the brand equity that you've built up and that perception and sort of that like recognition right you know yeah. and so yeah just a and, thought there and and I think you touched on this earlier, but then also to realize to couch your, those big assets that you have, those really key ones, your logo, mm -hmm. your website, you know, your location, mm -hmm. you know, there's lots of those things that we envision as being the key parts of our business and they are, mm -hmm. but to reiterate, you could have all of those things, right? You could spend tons of money. You could do those with perfection. Mm hmm but if you're not thinking about those other elements of your brand strategy about mm -hmm. the actual customer experience, about those yeah. smaller interactions, individual emails, someone walks in your building, a phone call, social media posts, if you're not doing those things right, then those key pieces are going to be, bring a lot less value to your company and, and matter a lot less because you're not doing those other things well. Yes. So yes. you could do the big things well, but if you're doing the little things not well, mm -hmm. It's not gonna. It's not gonna matter, and you know you're gonna lose a lot of that in the end. Yeah, and I that. Well said, <laughs> beautifully said, Ryan. <laughs> no. And I w I would add to that then, um, if you're kind of sitting there thinking, okay, that's cool, but how do how is it that I start to embark and engage on this idea of like, looking at holistically looking at my business and my brand strategy? Um, when I used to work for the city of South Bend, um, we did uh, several of these exercises where they called it experience audits. Mm -hmm. uh, Aaron Perry is the director, executive director over there. And he kind of initiated this idea of like yeah. going through our facilities and some of our, our, our more robust programs like the East race waterway and some of those things that have a lot of moving parts yeah. um, and looking at it from a customer's perspective. So if you're, if you're very customer facing, like you have a store and you sell stuff in your store um, or if you got a, if you sell online, you know, your website is your store. Um, it, it's not overly complicated, um, and isn't overly technical and you don't need a lot of expertise to do an experience audit. And I think that's a great way to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, and it helps you probably kind of observe and capture some of those things like you're talking about that those small things that add up and impact the perception in a really big way. So that's something you could probably do is just to say, okay, I sell online and if I haven't already, I need to 
either have people help me do it that aren't me, aren't inside my business, or mm-hmm. you know, partner with somebody like at an agency to do do some of this user experience work. But really take a look and step back and say, how is it that when I walk through the door, what what is this like? Just stop. When I look at my, when I'm people walk through the door, what does this do to impact people's perceptions? Does it look trashy? Is it dirty? Are there cigarette butts laying all over the ground? Mm-hmm. Um, that impacts people's perceptions. You yeah, know, they make people oh, make make you think does. like, well, they, if they don't care about their storefront, are they going to care about me as a customer? You know, and so there's all these all these things that you could sort of audit and just take a look, take some time, and say, okay, when people call in what's the experience when people go to the website what's the experience when they walk through the doors what's the experience Mm. Um, when they call customer service later what's Mm -hmm. the experience and so that's a way that you could just kind of pause without a lot of expertise really but just say okay from these different perspectives what are all the little things right that we could we could take a look at and say okay is that impacting the perception the way we hope it does or Mm -hmm. not so that's something people could people could do kind of without a huge budget or a lot of expertise. Yeah. Yeah. And it's finding out, it's sort of thinking about what are those typical, um, customer paths that people take? Cause yeah, it might not be yeah. one uniform thing. It, it could be, maybe your, maybe your operation is pretty streamlined and, and straightforward. And, and maybe there is one direct path that most people take, but your company might be more nuanced than that. So yeah. it's thinking about what are, what are the origination points of each person, mm-hmm. you know, path that people come into our company and what's the path like for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, we've, we've tried to do a little bit of that here at Blackwood, mm-hmm. just thinking about those paths and the experience that people are having along yeah. the whole way. Um, and what that amounts to, yeah. you know, because if you're a company in the area and you're having low conversion rates or you're, you're dumbfounded by, you know, we get all these people in our store, but, only 10% of them are actually buying anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's figure out why. Like there's yeah. probably a reason why that's happening that you, that maybe is, is staring you right in the face, but you just haven't taken yeah. the time to actually stop and look at it. Yeah. Um, so there can be a lot of value in just pausing and yeah. being like, okay, what's going on here? Where are we losing people? Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. probably a perception issue. Yeah. And I think we, it's easy to look at the web as a at that, like people do that a lot on the web like you can you look at analytics and you mm-hmm. can see how people enter your site where's the entry point where do they drop off how much time are they spending on each page you know that's really easy because you get direct easy analytics mm-hmm. um but that, again that's just one facet and if you have if you if you're not only selling online if you've got a storefront like you said if you get people in the door but your sales are still low like the the massive amount of the behemoth part of the work is getting people in the store you know, and to get them to come to your location and look at your stuff or mm-hmm. whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but we, yeah, then so what, what, where's the miss? What's the problem here? So it's, it's, all I'm saying is it's easy on the web with analytics to sort of look at user right. paths, but take that same approach with all the kind of non-digital things that you've got, whether, yeah, it's phone or in store, that, that could be pretty, yeah. could be pretty enlightening. Or like in your situation now where you're working with international students yeah. or, you know, international programs, mm-hmm. you have a lot of that where they're going into an actual multi-month or year program mm-hmm. they're gonna have tons of t- touch points throughout that where you right. you have to be cognizant of what's the experience that we're giving these mm-hmm. people while they're in our programs for the long haul it's yeah. not just the the entry door and the exit door it's everything in between as well so yeah there's a lot i'm sure in your world a lot to consider ongoing that fits into exactly what we're talking about yeah something that's been really interesting that i've found being at notre dame is there's there's it's pretty clear to me that there's internal and there's external audiences. Internal means, I get, and I didn't really fully realize how big Notre Dame was. I mean, <laughs> you, you say it's like, well, there's these thousands number of people and that sort of thing. But 
there's a lot of work uh, from our area, from Notre Dame International, promoting what we do back to Notre Dame. And when I first got there, it was it was almost sort of like, that's that seems weird, you know, mm-hmm. like promoting back to yourself. But it's such a big institution. There's so many layers and it's so complex and there's so many different kinds of work and activities, departments and schools and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, like some of the things, so we have different gateways and centers throughout the world um, that do all kinds of different things. Each one is different. And so some of them are really focused on bringing faculty to this location to do research, you know, in the, you know, somewhere in the Middle East, or there's this great internship program that we have in Asia, or, you know, there's so many different things um, that we have to sort of promote to all these different audiences. And there's so many layers and it's so complex that you really have to stop and think about, okay, the way that we need our brand to be perceived, and this is just crazy. So there's, there will be, we partner with a lot of universities throughout throughout the world that are near our different gateways and centers, mm-hmm. you know, um, to give broader, deeper educational experiences for the students that would go and participate there. And so the way that we want to be perceived in that academic sphere to those partner organizations, the way that Notre Dame International and Notre Dame wants to be perceived over there with those people and those kind of, that audience, so to speak, you know, it's very academic and formal in a lot of ways. Yeah. But then you flip it back around and you talk about looking internally and you talk about connecting with students that want to study abroad. And it's very much a like experiential sort of like fun. I want it to feel this way. And I need, we need to help them understand how it feels to go, you know, stand Mm -hmm. on a hilltop in Jerusalem and just see historic sites, you know, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so again, we have to, I mean, there's so much work, um, that has been done and is yet to, has yet to be done as things develop, um, just to say, okay, when we're talking about this kind of program in this part of the world, um, we hope that people see us this way. Yeah. And when we're talking about the same program on the other side of the <laughs> world, we hope that people see us this other way, mm-hmm. and they're two very different perceptions. Yeah. And so there's, there's the layer of location and culture, and then there's the layer of um, kind of a, a kind of perpendicular, I don't know, a cross section. Dude, I, I was so bad at math. <laughs> I get I did so bad. Parallel. So there's other layers. We'll just say that. Leave math out of it. There's other layer. There's another layer of sort of the programs and activities. So like, is it an internship or is it a study abroad program? Um, and all of those things, it sort of builds this like matrix of like, okay, uh, kind of a communication or audience matrix. So these people in this context for these sorts of things, we hope that we can influence them, the perception to be this, this, and this, and this, you right. know? Um, so yeah, all that to say, um, there are so many layers and considerations when you work internationally and so many cultural things, not only like language, those obvious ones, but some of Mm -hmm. the more subtle things, whether you talk about in some parts of the world, people perceive, um, certain religions this way, or in some parts of the world, uh, people who speak this language are perceived this way, you know? And so there's a lot of, a lot of careful work that has to be done to be successful in many, many different cultures with many, many different programs. Sure. So it's kind of multiplied and multiplied. So that's that's the work that we're doing right now is how do we how how do we um, connect with people in a way that's meaningful, that sort of furthers the the mission of common good for Notre Dame throughout the world, you know? Um, and it looks very different yeah. in all parts of the world for all kinds of different programs. So yeah, but it's but really at its essence it's that same thing we've been talking about where it's like well, who, who are these people, the audience? Um, what is it that we hope they think about us? What is it, how is it that we hope they perceive us? Um, and then what must we do 
what what can what what role do we what role do we play then in impacting those things um and so yeah it's really complex but at its core it's still the same exact kind of thing and the same same approach yeah yeah and what you're talking about like internationally thinking about cultures and and religion and language and all those things Mm -hmm. really big concepts which which are very much in your world and something Mm -hmm. you have to think about for someone maybe that is more localized who's not thinking as globally some of those same concepts i'm sure are very transferable to their Mm -hmm. situation where yeah, you might not be working with people who are so diverse in culture and religion and language and all those other things, but maybe your audience is more diversified in, you know, just other demographics, whether it's mm-hmm. age or race or socioeconomic status or whatever it may be. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. Where you need to also consider those things of of how do we diversify our our content and our messaging, the way that we reach out, but yet can keep a consistent strain in our approach where I'm sure you guys have to think about this at Notre Dame of, we still want them to experience Notre Dame. Yeah. We have to keep that true and what our core (laughs) values, who we are, what, Mm -hmm. you know, who we are as an institution, but there, but we, we want there to be nuance in how they experience it. And we want that nuance to speak to them as an individual where they're at. So how do you keep those two sort of, that's the that's the probably the, the rub, right? Yeah. How do you keep yeah. those two in in good tension where you're accomplishing both? You're not sacrificing one for the other. I'm sure there's companies and, and organizations like yours all over the world who struggle with that. How do we do that well? Yeah. Um, so so that was that was one thing. But um, let, let's get a little bit more on the ground floor here. So sure. f- yeah. for someone listening, um, you know, there's some great stuff here to think mm-hmm. about, but. Mm-hmm. Let's get on more on the, the what we can control part because I'm sure yes. people are listening are like okay, I like controlling things. What can what can what I control? I what can yep. I work on? <laughs> um, so, for someone that is in a company thinking about maybe the brand strategy part, mm-hmm. where should they start? What are the things that they should be thinking about? What are the steps that they should start to consider to really do this thing well? Yeah, you know I think kind of what I what I said earlier. Many times there's so many layers, but at the center of it all, the, the, the concept of how you approach is simple, but then how it then plays out is often complex. So mm-hmm. what, I would, what, what I think is, is probably the most important thing, if you're, if, you're, if you're wanting to start, if you say, okay, brand strategy, I think I need to take that more seriously. This sounds like problems I've had or challenges I'm having. The, probably the first thing you need to do is get super clear on who it is that you serve who it is that your audience is. And I know that's real, that's very rudimentary. It's, it's simple and it should, it sounds obvious, mm-hmm. but I mean, everywhere that I've ever been, whether I've been at an agency or a nonprofit or, you know, higher ed or any, any kind of like sector or whatever, that's always so challenging. It's so cha- incredibly challenging um, to, to, for somebody to say like, who, who's our audience? Like in a meeting, just like somebody like pipe up and say that and say, who's the audience? And, and people know, and people are like, oh yeah, it's this, this, and this, and this, you know, and mm-hmm. rattling off demographics. But I think that's probably, and it, you don't have to do it in a way that's like super complex or like you don't, again, you don't need a lot of technical skills necessarily to start that route, but to say, who are the people that we want to, who, who are customers, who, who do we want to impact, who do we want to engage with mm-hmm. and define that? Yeah. And, um, so that's sort of that's sort of a like what's the current reality, you know? And if you if you haven't defined that, just look at 
who do you sell to, so to speak, or who is buying your stuff or who is engaging with you, mm-hmm. you know, and you talked about sort of like, what are the kind of sections and, and layers, you know, right. like the generational thing of like, is it millennials? Is it boomers? Is it Gen Z? Yeah. You know, and that will, that will have a massive impact oh, yeah. on the tone and the type of content and that sort of thing. So I think you, you have to get honest with yourself because what, what you, as a small business owner, you probably say, well, like I want to, I want to sell to everybody. And that, that is, that's the worst thing you could ever possibly say to yourself as somebody who's trying to build a small business because you will lose every time if you don't focus. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that if you say, well, I want to sell to everybody kind of out of that fear of like, well, I don't want to disclose. I don't want to, I don't want to, you don't want to exclude. I don't want to miss somebody. Yeah. Like, oh, but what if I could have sold something to them? What if I could have engaged with them or got that content to them or something? Yeah. You have to, if you say, well, my audience is everyone. You need to sit down have a cup of coffee or whatever, <laughs> just pause for a second and reassess. And you need to, you need to focus. It doesn't have to be just one audience, but I think you just have to begin to do the work of saying for our, for our business, we sell these things or we do this sort of service mm-hmm. we care about. And it's not just like age or gender, but it's like it's consumer needs and consumer desires too. And this kind of gets into the positioning statement, which we can, we can talk about too, but it's saying who who who's my audience, but also right along with that, paired with that is what do they care about and what's most meaningful to them? Because if you're a, if, if you're the type of business that sells things, if you, if you do high volume, low price, there's a certain kind of consumer that cares about that. And on the other side of that, if you do low volume, high price, so it's sort of like the premium model over there and sort of the bargain model over here, the, what people value is very different. Mm-hmm. And so the way you talk about your product and the way you position yourself needs to be very different yeah. as well. So that's what I would say is probably the single most important thing is like start start the work of getting more and more clear about who your audience or audiences are. Mm-hmm. And you can do that internally in a very informal way and just start to focus, you know, you can or you can partner with an agency um, and do that and just starting that work. I mean, when you focus, um, that's when I think success comes. It may not be overnight, but when you say we're, we're selling everything to everyone, you're going to lose. Yeah. Just flat out, you're going to lose. So yeah. I'd say tactically, f- either working with an agency or internally, define your audience yeah. and understand what it is they need and care about the most because that'll really help you focus. Yeah. It's hard to go from zero to Amazon as right. much as That's, we'd all love yeah. for that yeah. to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Sell everything to everyone. Um, That's so, true. That's a good point. Yeah. I guess they're one of the few people who can be everything <laughs> to everyone. Good point. Yeah. Checkmate. <laughs> But it, it took it took them some time, <laughs> yeah. And time. Uh, they've they've had a they started with a niche, and now they've brought. Right. But uh, yep. um, you just real quick, you've yeah. you've hit on positioning mm-hmm. a couple times. Yeah, tell me what you're thinking on let's that. Let's go there. Yeah. yeah, let's go there. So, a positioning statement is a key part of your brand strategy, and it's not something lofty or something really complex, but it pulls in these pieces that we've been talking about. That it it talks about who your audience is, um, what they care about, sort mm-hmm. of what your, what your kind of selling point or your main benefit is to those customers and like kind of identifying where it is, what space or what kind of lane or product vertical you're running in. Mm-hmm. So um, the things that you would want to identify, and we'll talk about how then to use the positioning statement too, because I think that's a kind of a key part to pair with it. Um, so again, you want to identify your target market. And so that's the people... Um, Again, your audience, those are the people who resonate with what you're doing, who you think um, care about your product or your service the most. 
And then you also want to, along with that, like we talked about, you want to say, um, what is the need that you're meeting or you're filling in that space? And Mm -hmm. if you can't identify that, you may need to do some work on thinking about even your products and your services and tweaking those and retooling those. Because if you have a great product or service that no one needs, it's not a great product or service, right? right. (laughs) Totally. Um, And then I think it, and then another part of it too, then is being able to differentiate yourself from other people who are in kind of that space or Mm -hmm. maybe are, are, you know, quote unquote competitors. competitors. Yeah. Um, and then there's kind of the, and then there's kind of the last part that's sort of the reason to believe portion of things. And that's sort of the aspirational, um, part. And so a way that you could, a formula or sort of a template that you could use to kind of think about a positioning statement would be for blank, which would be your audience. So for, um, and let me just preface all this by saying this is an internal document. It's not something you would put on the wall and point to for all your customers. This is something you use as a filter internally mm-hmm. to sort of guide you. So you're working on an internal document, a brand positioning statement. You say, so for um, uh, baby boomers um, that are retired and interested in exploring um, the United States, um, our um, RV company, mm-hmm. like whatever it may be, your kind of your name. So you're, you're sort of saying, who's the target audience? What is their need, which is they want to get out and explore the United States because they're retired and they have all the time in the world to do that. Yeah. Um, our company um, offers, and this is where you put the main benefit. So it's for boomers who want to explore. Our super awesome RV company offers um, the cheapest RV. Well, just, just to make it easy. They offer the cheapest RVs because we think everybody should have access to, everybody should be able to explore the great, United States of America or something mm-hmm. like that. So it pulls in four things, basically. It's the audience. It's the need that you're trying to meet. Um, it's the way you differentiate from your competitors. And then it's that reason to believe. That's sort of that aspirational thing that you can kind of hook people. It's a little bit of the heart or the gut sort mm-hmm. of a thing. Yeah. It says, we because we believe that everybody should have the have access to mm-hmm. all of the beauty. Maybe like, of, yeah, I believe that too. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> boom, resonate. We got it. Yeah. That's it. Um, so that's kind of, that's a positioning statement. And so that the format, you know, it can bend and flex and change a little bit, but again, it's about audience, the need you meet, the competitors, and then why they should choose you. It's that reason to believe that Mm -hmm. last little kind of heart gut sort of a thing. Yeah. And so if you can build some kind of statement that says, that says those things and pulls all of that together, that becomes your guiding light. And again, that's an internal document. And so when you are creating um, an ad campaign for let's say the fall is coming up and you have and you're, you have a big product launch coming up the first thing you do is you come back to that brand position and you say okay when we build messaging when we pick photos when we think about how we answer the phone for this campaign when we think about the copy we put in the email when they sign up for our newsletter for this campaign you use that as a filter to run everything that you're building through that mm-hmm. um, so that you're consistent so that you're aligned so that your efforts towards impacting the perceptions they have of you land and they resonate and it's right on point yeah. because if you talk in a way if you're if your audience is boomers right and you would talk to boomers differently than you talk to gen z oh yeah if you talk to boomers like you're talking to gen z whoops you <laughs> fail that's i mean it's just it's terrible yeah. it'll be a train wreck right so it sets you up to more for more likely success all the time as you continually focus and revisit that mm-hmm. filter 
through which you run all of your marketing and communication and brand yeah. um, strategy. And so the positioning statement is just what the name says. It says, this is our position in the market. This is how we are relative to our customers, relative to our competitors, and ultimately why we think you should choose us. Yeah. And so when you have that s- statement that identifies your position, man, you can take over the world then. You've got so much clarity because then what it allows you to do, again, talking about focus, then you can say um, billboards are not for us mm-hmm. because we know that um, Gen Z, if it's if your target audience say it's like, it's like 18 to 24-year-olds, um, billboards maybe aren't the right choice in terms of medium and tactic. Mm-hmm. Man, we're going to go hard. We're going to triple down on digital mm-hmm. and we're going to go all the way with Instagram ads or we're going all the way in these digital channels. Yeah. Um, and our messaging is going to be this and this and this. So you'd think about if you're a, you're that bargain brand again, where we sell the cheapest RVs ever, the way you talk about the words you use and the way you talk about your product, um, should reinforce that, you know, yeah. um, whatever the audience is. Yeah. So again, it's it's a position and it's a filter and it will guide you in kind of all of your brand and marketing uh, efforts. And it's not super complicated. You just have to identify those four things. And if you just write that down and print it out and everybody keeps it on their desk, people who are <laughs> doing the marketing communications work or whatever, or, or the, yeah. you know, the CEO or the owner, um, just let that be your guide. Whenever you're doing that work, just take a second. Does this... Is this aligned with what we want to be and what we want to do? Yep. And then you Love go. It. Love Su- it. So it's super easy and super clear. Yeah. And it'll guide you and focus. Yeah. Well, you've given some really great things for, for people to think about. Even me and Blackwood here, like these are some of the things that you're talking about are things that we've, we've even recently been talking about internally awesome. and, and focusing on. And so uh, I love that this is where we've landed. Yeah. I think it's, it's great for, for people that are listening in to really consider these things for themselves, for their company, how mm-hmm. can we, how can we manage our brand perception and then our, our strategy, the actual strategy that we're employing. Yeah. Um, and then this positioning statement, I love that. How do, yeah. how can we be super clear and, and laser focused on who we are and what we want to accomplish Absolutely. and stay true to that. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause so often you see companies who don't stay true to their, their focus and mm-hmm. they start to waver outside of that. And then they yeah. atrophy, you know, every, it starts to shake a little bit. Wheels and can come off. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. And so uh, yeah. great stuff to think about. So, oh, go ahead. I have, I have one other thing I think I would kind of just tag on to the end of that too. So that's a great encapsulation of things. And I think the one thing that would add to um, and sort of bring even more clarity to some of the processes, you know, that people might be working through is um, ask yourself if you've got a way to know uh, what people's perceptions of you are. Um, and that can be a myriad of things, but if you're Mm -hmm. talking about, if you're kind of working down this journey of what's the brand, how do people perceive me? What can I do to impact that? Um, a, a element of that can often be kind of overlooked or missed or sort of uncared for is what are the mechanisms, mechanisms I have in place to understand how it is people perceive me, Mm. whether that's, um, you know, if you, if you have reviews online, you know, or, um, you have a comment card, you know, or you have a follow-up email, like an auto auto responder, like after somebody buys something online, mm-hmm. like, what did you think? You know, click the yeah. green smiley face or the red sad face, you know, <laughs> yeah. just some of the simple things. Yeah. But I think that's another key thing to think about too, is it doesn't have to be complex or really robust, but it needs to be acknowledged and looked at and cared for is what are the ways, um, 
what are the things I have in place for my business or organization that allow me to have some kind of visibility into what people actually think. So you may, yeah. you may sit back in your office and say like, people love us and they think this about this, this. And so you make all these assumptions and then do a bunch of work based on assumptions. Whoops. We all know that that's probably not the best way to go. So yeah. I would say that things as simple as if you've got an email list, you know, just periodically asking, um, asking people what they think or what their experience has yeah. been or how could we improve getting feedback. Um, yeah. Just getting feedback or asking people, um, for ratings with, you know, if you're mm -hmm. like a law firm, there's all these law websites where you online where you can rate different lawyers or rate law firms or yeah. Google reviews or, or, or Yelp, whatever it may be. Yeah. Just make sure that two things that you have a way to get information about what, how people perceive you, mm -hmm. whether it's reviews or whatever, and then make sure that you've got some kind of thing in place in sort of your marketing and communications that um, sort of pokes people to say, hey, would you leave us a review? Mm -hmm. Or hey, what did you think? Yeah. So it's sort of like, make sure you check in, make sure you're asking people to yeah. give you that yeah. information too. Yeah. Uh, more on a silly note, the whole time you were talking, all I could think about was uh, local Arby's. They have a bell on the wall. And you know, <laughs> they they want you to they want you to jingle yeah, the bell if sure. you're happy when you're walking out. <laughs> so I was, yeah. I was just thinking about I, sometimes I have I've I've, yeah. I've rang that bell and that's my way of as a customer of saying hey I appreciate it you know this was yeah. a good experience thanks for having me good job yeah and sometimes <laughs> you go there and it's not good but you have your kids with you and they're yeah, just yeah. like <laughs> they just want to ring the bell fifty times anyways yeah <laughs> well Matt it's been awesome having you on the show yeah, I so appreciate sure. it it's been an awesome conversation um, like I said these are just great things for all of us to consider when we're talking about um, from your brand strategy and your positioning statement to mm -hmm. how are people actually experiencing your yeah. brand what are their actual thoughts um, who are those people all those things lots to think about so thanks for joining us today yeah, sure. um, if, if you you've enjoyed the content, you have any questions um, that you would want to ask Matt directly, you can look up Matt Esau on LinkedIn. Um, it's M-A-T-T -T and then E-S-A-U. Uh, he would love to connect with you if you have a question and, and uh, just uh, help you in your journey as well when it comes to branding and, and just dominating as a company, doing awesome, <laughs> doing the good work. So uh, this has been awesome. Thanks yeah. everyone for listening uh, and joining in on the Big Brand Theory podcast. You are always welcome to subscribe and follow us. Um, you can go to the Big Brand, uh, BigBrandTheoryPodcast.com um, and uh, find out more there. Uh, but hope you enjoyed and, and uh, join us for the next one. You all stay toasty.